0: Uh, let's look at God's Word together. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, starting in verse 6. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. We, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages uh, for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this. For who knows a person's thought except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have, re- uh, we have received not the spirit of the world, but uh, the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Let's pray together. Our Lord, as we set our minds now to study about... Your Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Comforter. We ask uh, that you would send your Spirit to teach us about the Spirit. That you would guide us into all truths, into the depths of God, as uh, Paul says in these words. And uh, Lord many things for us to understand uh, that we must set our minds to. And so would you be our, our aid, our guide? I pray that the things um, that I say this morning, you would apply them by your Spirit into the individual lives of those who are sitting here. That you may um, give us repentance, you may give us faith, and draw us in to your unfailing love. And we ask this in the name of Christ our Savior. Amen. So. Um, We are are looking at really a masterful, really rich uh, passage on the Holy Spirit uh, this morning. And, uh, you know, let me just say is, before we kind of enter into this passage, that, you know, I want to acknowledge that I know that listening to sermons is hard work. Um, You know, actually, you know, we get used to watching TV and things, which is very passive activity. You know, it keeps you kind of entertained the whole time. And you don't have to do a whole lot. But actually, what you're doing right now is, you know, this is a two-way thing that we're doing that you have to engage you have to think about what i'm saying you have to apply it into your own life you got to think about things that happened this week and that have happened in, in your you know your thoughts that you have about god it's a very uh engaging work that you're engaging in and i just want to encourage you it is certainly worthwhile to give your attention to the word of god and especially this morning we're giving our attention to the mystery of the holy spirit this is uh, worth the devotion of our minds this morning. okay? And so, as we think about the Holy Spirit, um, I'm going to just look at two real simple questions from this passage. Who is the Holy Spirit? Which is really, that's going to be a theological answer. First part's going to be kind of theology. The second part, who is the Holy Spirit? And the second question is, how does he work in my life? Who is the Holy Spirit and how does he work in my life? And that second question is really actually more of a psychological question. We're beginning with theology and moving into psychology. And uh, this passage is, is loaded. I, I, I worked hard to make this simple <laughs> this week. So... Uh, work with me, and, uh, and I, I know God has, has good things for us in this passage as we look at Paul's words from 1 Corinthians. So, first question we're going to look at from this passage is, who is the Holy Spirit? Who is the Holy Spirit? And the first answer that we see in this passage is that the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. Now, uh, if you're new to the Christian faith, one of the most basic beliefs of the Christian faith is that there's one God who made the heavens and the earth, made everything, except this one God exists in three persons who are all God, who are all equal in power and glory, but there's only one God. Okay? And so, you know, and that's why when Christians say things like, we believe that God is love. We don't mean that God is some energy in in the sky or something that we tap into. We really mean that God is love. Love requires at least two people. And so when we say God is love, it means God is a community. He is these three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Three persons who make up one God. Okay? Now, so the Holy Spirit, when I say the first thing about the Holy Spirit, is the Holy Spirit is a person. Now I know that for some of you when you hear me say that that the Holy Spirit is a person, you might think, you, you think the Holy Spirit's like a human or something? What do you mean that the Holy Spirit is a No, I don't mean as a human. What I mean is that he has personal attributes. Look at this passage, the way it talks about the Holy Spirit. Verse ten. These things God revealed through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of the person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit who is from God. So it's talking about the Spirit reveals things. The Spirit... uh, uh, Oh, actually, down in verse 13 also it says, and we we impart this... uh, impart these words... uh, Oh, sorry. I wrote this wrong. Uh, For we... uh, Uh, impart this in words not taught by wisdom, but taught by the Spirit. So here, what do we see the Spirit does? The Spirit reveals things. The Spirit comprehends things. The Spirit has personal knowledge about God. And then the Spirit comes and teaches things. These are all things that persons do. The Holy Spirit has a will. He has things that He loves. The the Holy Spirit has things that are fascinating to Him and that He studies. That's why throughout the Scriptures, um, even though the Holy Spirit is described as a power the power of God he is personal he's not just an energy like gravity or like electromagnetism because you know gravity doesn't love and be fascinated in things and teach teach things and he even says in one place that the Holy Spirit can be grieved can be saddened by things and so that's why throughout the Bible the Greek the the people who are writing the New Testament always refer to the Holy Spirit not as an it but as a him he's a personal being Personal God, and so the Holy Spirit is the third person of the tr- of the Trinity. He is God, but uh, these three persons of the Trinity that Christians believe in—Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit—all kind of have different functions in the ways that they they work with the world and accomplish God's purposes in the world, and um, and so. What is the function of the Holy Spirit in the world? And this is the second kind of theological statement. So we first say the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. But the second thing is, who is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit, and this is a a complicated one. The Holy Spirit is the animating power of the age to come. The Holy Spirit is the animating power of the world or the age to come. Now, look again at verse 6, what Paul says here. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, though it is not a wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. Now, what is he talking about, this age? Well, the Apostle Paul, and actually the Bible as a whole, has an understanding of the world that, he, that the world's history will be divided into two ages. There's this present evil age, and there is... The age to come is the other age. And what he's saying is that the wisdom of the Holy Spirit, what the Holy Spirit does is not of this age. So therefore, it is of the age to come. It is from the world to come. And um, what that means is that the Holy Spirit um, is the very power, is the very logic of what life is going to be like in heaven in the age to come. So, you know, when he's talking about the rulers of this age, right, there's a certain logic to the way the world works now, right? People are competitive. People are trying to get their own, grab, grab a hold of their own, and in the way we treat one another, we're selfish, we're greedy, we're envious—all these things that rip apart our relationship and actually make life in this world miserable. And what Christians believe is that God is going to return to this world, and He is going to cleanse it of all evil, so that we'll actually live in God's presence for endless ages filled with joy, filled with love, actually becoming who we were always meant to be in God's world. And that whole world that will be free from misery and from sin and from betrayal and from uh, you know, selfishness and bitterness, will be free from all those things. That world is animated. The very life of that world is the Holy Spirit. And so when we have the Holy Spirit now, it is the spirit of that age coming and breaking into our life right now. That's who the Holy Spirit is. So this is, what it, this is how it says in Hebrews 6. If someone becomes a Christian, they have shared in the Holy Spirit and the powers of the age to come. The Holy Spirit is the power of the age to come. And He has come into our bodies. Okay? Because part of the age to come is God's going to come to this world and he's going to cleanse his creation and fill the creation with his presence so that it will actually be a place of joy. Everything that we think this world has the potential to be, it will become when God makes all things right. And it's going to do it by the Spirit. And that Spirit has come into our bodies. Do you know that? that the very animating power of the world to come, if you are a Christian, lives inside of your brain and your arms and your nerves and your you know emotions and your lungs. Every, is living inside your body. You know, I always tell this to my kids. And I'm talking to them and, you know, talking to them about how do you love your siblings and stuff like that. I'm always like, look at your arms. You're, the whole, Spirit of God is in your arms. And I take their face and I kind of smunch it and I'm like, open their eyes. And I'm like, in there is the Spirit of God God has poured his love into your heart by the Holy Spirit. That is an identity-transforming reality. Do you really believe that about your body? Is that how you view your body? My body has the power of the new world, of the very hope of the world living inside of it. That is wild. That's who we are. And so it's for this reason that later... In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, this is how Paul's going to describe us as people, as a community. Is he says, you are the people on whom the ends of the ages have met. You are those on whom the ends of the ages have met. You, you know, Because we live in this present age with all of its sin and we wrestle with all that and yet we have the spirit of the age to come living inside of us so we're already a part of that new creation. So it's like we got a foot in each world. And it's like the two ages, they meet together like this and they touch one another in us. We are the symbol to the world that there is another age coming, that God is going to make things right, and He's begun to do it inside our lives, our community, our bodies. It is radical. And so that's again why Paul says in 2 Corinthians that if you are in Christ, you are what? New creation. You are a chunk of the new world stuck back in the old world. And you're a sign and a symbol to the whole world that a new world is coming and that Jesus can make a new world and that God can make a new world and that there is hope for this world. And so this is an an identity-forming thing uh, for us, that um, when you become a Christian, the animating power of the age to come becomes the animating power of your body and your life now. All right, And this is precisely what Paul is getting at in the end of this passage. Look at verse 14. I know these are, these are complex things he's saying, but listen to what he says. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but his himself judged by no one. Now you notice that Paul makes this contrast, right? There's two kinds of people. There's a natural person, and then there's the spiritual person. What is, what is that? What is a natural person? Well, actually the Greek word that's used there for natural is which is You know, the root there is psyche or psyche, right? Your psyche, the soul. A natural person is a soulish person. A person whose life and body is animated by their natural soul. So you know, our natural souls have all these desires and all these aims and all these drives, and we're competitive and we want to get our own. And this is the thing that instructs how we use our body. And he says, now the spiritual person is not their body's not animated by the soul primarily, but primarily animated by the spirit of God living inside of them, directing their body, giving them new loves, new desires, um, addressing all of their fears and driving. Them. It's the it's the operative life inside of us. And so, um, this interaction of the soul with the Holy Spirit is the key to answering the second question that we're going to look at. Okay. So the first thing is, who is the Holy Spirit? Interesting answer. He's the third person. He's a person. He's loving. He has opinions. He's fascinated with things. He teaches things. He's a person. Who is the animating power of the age to come. He is the future The hope of the future come into the present and living inside my body. That's who the Holy Spirit is. Okay? So how then does He work in my life? How does that abstract, complicated theology come and work in my life? Well, it's fascinating. Okay? In two ways, we see in this passage. Two ways that he works in my life. The first is that the Spirit searches our souls. The Spirit of God searches out. Our souls. Look at verse 9. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love Him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything. Even the depths of God. You hear that? The Spirit searches everything. Paul says that that's what the Spirit does it searches things out, learns about things. Found, you know, and actually, uh, in Revelation, the Spirit is, is called the seven eyes of the Lamb that searches out to the ends of the world and studies things. And one of the primary things that the Spirit loves to search and study is humans the human heart, the human soul. What is going on in that rich and complex inner life? What is happening in there? That is one of the things that the Spirit is fascinated with, is searching the souls of people. And I'll tell you why this is such an important thing for us as modern people. Because one of the most um, powerful images that has been used um, in modern psychology in the last century for understanding the human person is the image of the, uh, the iceberg. I probably shared this with some of you. Some of you have heard this before, that the human person is kind of like an iceberg, right? And, you know, the iceberg has a little tip of the iceberg that is above the water that you can see. And that, um, and modern psychology says that represents the conscious part of who you are. And underneath the water, there is this huge... Mat- you know, have ever seen those pictures of the, of the iceberg where there's just a little bit of the iceberg sticking out? And underneath, there's this whole massive, beautiful ice rock that's underneath the surface... And what modern psychology says is, you know, the way that you live your life, the way you make decisions, the way you enter into relationships is partly determined by things that you're conscious of, but you have this whole subconscious reality to your soul that is actually determining the way you talk to people, what job you're going to pursue, whether you're going to get married, whether you're going to stay in that relationship, what church you're going to attend. There's all kinds of things, questions that are driving your life are in this whole subconscious world that you're not even aware of. I don't even know what's going on down there. And uh, one of the most helpful things that modern psychology has insisted upon is that if you're going to have transformation in your life, it doesn't just happen above the waterline, it has to happen below the waterline. That's actually where the most important transformation has to happen, is in this subconscious, pre-conscious area of who you are and who your soul is. Okay? And so, you know, I know that Probably many of you have been to some kind of, you know, been to a counselor. We have counselors in our church, and uh, and had some kind of therapy. And uh, the process of therapy then is, if I'm going to have transformation underneath the waterline in my subconscious, how am I going to do that? I got to lower the waterline. I got to see what's under the waterline, so I can be conscious of, aware of why am I making the decisions that I'm making? Why am I, you know, acting the way that I'm acting, so that I can make new decisions and act in different ways? And um, and what we find in there is we realize, oh, I didn't realize I'm so controlling because, you know, when I was growing up, everything was so hectic and I always thought I was going to lose people and people were going to run on me, so I try to keep people under control so they're not going to run away from me. Or, um, you know, uh, uh, why am I so angry? Oh, I realize that actually I have deep hurt in my life. This is a protective thing. I'm deflecting the hurt onto other people so that I don't have to suffer it myself. I didn't even realize that's why I'm so angry. There's all kinds of things that are under there that when I uncover them, I can make new decisions about them. Profound. Profound insight. Um, But there are two huge assumptions in modern psychology that as Christians, we need to add a nuance to this. And these are two of the assumptions that we have to be careful of because the first assumption is that once I lower the waterline, wow, I have this big iceberg of my subconscious. I don't even know what's down there. The assumption is, when I lower the waterline and look down there, I'm going to know what to do with it when I see what's down there, right? Maybe I have things that people have done to me in the past that have, or things that I've done in the past that I'm ashamed of, and uh, there is a voice, there is a voice under there that says, you know, those things. You're you're worthless. You cannot trust anyone. You cannot enter. It. No one can be trusted. Uh, no one can love you. You're, the things you've done are too shameful. The assumption is when I lower the water line and I see that voice that's actually driving my whole life, those voices, that I'm going to know what to do with them. I'm going to be able to answer them. I'm going to have an answer for them. And uh, and very likely, I'm going to lower the water line. I'm going to see everything that's down there. And what am I going to do? No, thank you. I'm going to raise the, lower line, raise the water line right back up. Maybe I'll raise it a little higher and keep it where I don't even have to look at it. So there's an assumption, first of all, that if I lower the water line, I'm going to know what to do with what's down there. The second assumption is that I know how big that iceberg is. Maybe I'll lower it a little bit, but how far do I have to? Maybe it just keeps going and going and going. And then, then what am I going to do? I'm going to keep... Um, there may be too much for me to deal with. And this is the great limitation of modern psychology with all of its profound insights into the human person is that ultimately it is a project in self-salvation. It says you can save yourself. It says I can save myself. And what the Bible insists on is no, you can't. No, you can't save yourself. Only God can save you. And the shame that you have for the things that you've done that you never thought you were that bad of a person but you really done? The only power that can cover that and wash that away is the blood of Jesus Christ. And the only thing that can speak loud enough to those voices that are living down in the subconscious is actually the very spirit of God. God himself, the creator, the one who made you living inside, going down into your subconscious, into the hidden chambers of your life and beginning to speak to you. And this is is what the gospel says. the, The spirit of God the third person in the Trinity that's, full, that's fascinating, has opinions and, and uh, speaks and wills, dives down into the hidden iceberg and begins healing and begins washing and begins speaking truth and addressing the lies and doing all these things. And you're not even aware of it. He goes down before you go down. He's leading the way. And that's why Romans 8, what does Romans 8 say? Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. For the Spirit himself intercedes uh, for us with what? With groanings too deep for words. He says that when, Paul says when the Holy Spirit is working in your life, it is working on you at a level that you're not even aware of, you are unconscious of. He goes down, he plunges into the depths and begins to heal and and to care for you. Now, and what that means, by the way, is that as you're sitting here and you're here, you come here and you sit and you listen to the word of God, you hear the gospel week in and week out, there are things happening here that you're not aware of. You don't even know what's happening. Your life is being changed. Your identity is being reoriented. You know, your iceberg under the surface is being washed and cleansed. And isn't that good news? That it's not all up to you to figure out everything and to say the Spirit of God is actually in my body, and my soul, changing me and I wasn't even aware of it and I begin to love people and, I, and I, I'm not running away from relationships like I used to and I don't even know why I'm not. I just begin to love people. <sighs> Things are changing. It's because the Spirit of God is working on you and he's working on you at a subconscious level. Now, someone, one of, someone is going to ask me, what are you saying, pastor? Are you saying I shouldn't go to a counselor? Saying I don't need to lower the water level? I'm saying no. I'm saying the exact opposite. Now you can have courage to lower the water level because you know the Spirit of God is already down there and He's going with you and He's leading you. I mean, how much more to go down into those depths by yourself and to figure out what I'm going to say, but how about God Himself is with you? He's leading the way. He's showing you the things that you need to address when you need to address them. You don't have to address everything at once. This is the thing. And He's going to give you the words of God that are actually going to address those things. So it's not your words that are addressing them, it's God's words that are addressing them. How much more hope to lower the waterline? I'm not discouraging counseling. I'm encouraging it. But as long as we're not the ones saving ourselves, we need the very Spirit of God to guide us in this process. And let me just tell you, you know, that's how does the Bible name the Holy Spirit? We sang it in that last song, the paraclete, the comforter, the counselor. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He's all about lowering the waterline going down there, okay? So, I can search my soul because God's presence goes with me. What hope that I don't face my iceberg alone. Um, But what is the Holy Spirit going to say to my soul when he gets down in there? What's he going to... What's the light? What's the good news? What's the washing? What, you know, what's he going to say when he gets down in my subconscious, is he addressing my soul? And this is the second thing the Spirit does: is not only does He search our souls, but the Holy Spirit searches the mind of God. The Holy Spirit searches the mind of God. Look at look at verse, uh, the second half of verse 10, again, verse ten again. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. Spirit is fascinated with us and he's fascinated with God. (laughs) He's searching us both. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. And what the spirit does is he searches out. He says, God is filled with wonders and beauties and new things that can just fill our inner life with beauty and love and joy. And all those things are found in God, and it's the Spirit who shows those things to us, right? So, you know, uh, just a couple of weeks ago, I I went, Nick Kelly took me up into, backpacking up into, uh, you know, around Mount Baker, which, you know, is a whole world. I've lived here for 11 years. I've spent hardly any time up there. And as we're going through, you know, he's kind of guiding me, you guys guided me through, we're going to take this trail up over that hill, actually there's a couple of lakes up there, we're going to go up this butte and we're going to climb up there and there's just going to be 360 views. And, um, and it turns out that there's just, you go up in, into Mount Baker and you just realize there's valleys and lakes and cliffs and rocks and huge mountains and all these, and, and you're like, I could go there, I could go there, I could go there, there's just innumerable places of wonder. And I haven't even gone up there. I've never explored. I've never beheld the wonders. Part of the reason is because I don't know where to go. I need a guide, right? I need a Nick Kelly. <laughs> Part of the reason is because I'm going to go up there and I'm going to eat some berry or something and get eaten by a cougar. And so I'm like, all right, I'm going I'm to stay down here. I know you know, someone who's going to keep me safe in that exploration. This is what the Holy Spirit does. He brings us into the mountains of God where there's innumerable beauties and crags and places, little, little places where there's a little lake and there's a cliff and a lookout and all these things. And there's trails there. There are ways there. The Holy Spirit guides us into those places. And because the, re- the reality is, all those things down in your iceberg, you don't, you're like, oh, I don't know what to do with them. All those voices that are down there. You know what your iceberg needs more than anything? Is to know that there is a God in heaven who is beautiful, who is good, who loves you, who forgives you who cares for you, that's what your eyes speak, and that's what the Holy Spirit, he takes you to those places. Look at what Paul says again. This is, you might have missed this. Verse 12. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. You don't believe by nature that God could really love you. You don't believe that. That he would be open-handed and generous. That he, all of your sins that you've ever done and ever will do, he will just, in one, one act, forgive all of them. That he would call you his child. That he would delight over you. Your soul, your natural person, your sukacost, won't believe that. You need the Spirit of God to convince your heart there is a God who is that good. To show you, to teach you of the things that are freely given. To teach you about grace. And that's what the Spirit does. Is He searches out our soul and then teaches us about the grace of God. So let me just encourage you, if you're here today, um, and you say, you know what, maybe you're not a Christian, and you realize, I know, I cannot save myself. I've done that project. I've tried to rescue myself. I've tried to clean up everything by myself. What did we hear from Eric today? He said, I tried. It was God himself. is God alone. If you're realizing that, that you can't save yourself, the Holy Spirit is right now working on you. He, uh, he is, and he, where he wants to point you is to the grace of God, which is in Jesus. Jesus alone brings us the forgiveness, the eternal life, the riches that are God's, the relationship with God, all of those things, the relationship with other people. Jesus gives us all those things, and the Holy Spirit leads you and says, believe, trust in him. And so listen, you want to know what the Christian life is about? It's not just that Jesus dies to forgive our sins so that we can have a right standing with God. He does that. Praise God. But also, Jesus says, it is better for me to go to the Father so that you can have the Holy Spirit living in your body to do all these things, to search you out and to lead you into the wonders of who God is. He is God himself present in your body and in your soul and in your mind searching you out debating with the lies in you, telling you of God's love and guiding you. You have God himself that devoted to your person right now. He's intimately, that in, you know how your body is such an intimate part of who you are? You have God that intimately devoted and fascinated with who you are and he wants to lead you into the very goodness and wonders of God. Let's pray together. Our Lord, we thank you for the great gift of the Spirit. Lord, search us. And as you search us, give us courage to search ourselves and then to search out the wonders of who you are. Lord, we love you. We thank you uh, for the Spirit. Spirit, come, fill us. That we as a church indeed would be the people on whom the ends of the ages meet. That we would be a symbol and a sign to the world that a new creation is coming. And that God will make all things right. We pray this in Christ's name.